Welcome to um, our Twitter spaces for school librarians and teachers to collaborate. Um, it's called, the hashtag is LSLLTS, which is Library Staff Love Learning Twitter Spaces, just in case anybody didn't know. Um, how we run this is we uh, sometimes have guest speakers, sometimes we don't. Um, unfortunately, Andrew is unable to join us this evening. He's been called into school for something. So um, I may take the opportunity and share Andrew's story. So Andrew is a um, head of department at Ampleforth College um, and uh, my son. So typical, um, your own children let you down. But anyway, um, I, was, I will share his story about, about how he collaborates with collection development um, and his school. So I hope you don't mind me telling his story on his behalf. Um, we're also hopefully going to have um, Deborah Perrin, who's a school librarian, who's going to also talk. Um, I'm, uh, I can't see her online at the moment, so we will just continue um, and, and hopefully she'll join us in a bit. But this evening we're going to talk about why collection development is important, um, why um, it's important for us to keep our collections up to date. Um, how we balance um, fashion with long-term value. How much involvement should students have? How much students? Uh, how much um, time should we give to our teachers? Should they have an input? Um, interestingly, um, I think uh, we have a. A particular issue around budget so if you want to discuss budget this evening um, and and your collection development I'd be really interested to hear that if you are wanting to join in the chat at any point you just have to press um, uh, request to speak and I will invite you in to join in the conversation there's no pressure to join in um, it's just a general friendly chat and we we just take it as it comes so so um, I can't see Deborah online as yet. So maybe, Ruth, you could start us off. Can you talk about how um, you find your you work your collection development over time? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're, a very, we're in a very, very fortunate position. We are a well-funded library, um, thanks to our what we call school fund, which is not really PTA money, but money that is raised by the school from parents um, and that in fact pays my salary pays the library's budget um, and it's very generous at the moment touch wood so I'm and I have a very very liberal SLT I have complete free reign to buy as I choose um, so I while I try and work with the teachers I also just buy things which I think the kids ought to read or will be interested in and I have in the back of my mind what I think was a passing comment by Stephen Bull who is now the librarian at Millfield um, but was at the time working out in Switzerland in one of the international schools and he said that he buys a book he buys books because there may one day be a student who comes into the library and that is the book for them and I very much have that in my mind when I'm choosing um you know I'm, I'm buying the things that I know the kids will want to read but I'm also buying the things which 
someday will make a difference. I hope will someday make a difference to somebody. Um, or at the moment, things that I think they ought to read. I'm buying a lot of um, kind of freedom of speech stuff or um, anti-cancel culture things because there's a lot of talk in school about identity culture and, you know, there's a lot of very sweeping statements about who they will read and who they won't read and whose conversations they will engage in and whose they won't. And I think as part of my job, I'm there to uh, encourage them to really think through those statements. Um, but also with the fiction that I'm buying a lot of, um, I buy a lot of poetry, although it isn't very well read. Um, so it's a bit of a, and I have to be, I have to have in my mind that I'm not building my own personal library. <laughs> and that is a bit of a challenge because I am so unstructured. So I'd be interested to see if anybody else feels that they're sort of waging that war with themselves um, or whether there's a more structured... I don't have a collection development policy. And I know one of the things we talked about last summer was looking at policies and uh, things It's on my list to do this year. Um, but I'm not actually sure how I'd go about writing one because I'm very driven by, you know, the moment. Absolutely, Ruth. Um, you've brought up a, quite a few really good points there. I think that there's a real element of um, trying to work out what it is that your students need on a day-to-day -day basis, catering for their needs as far as, um, you know, what the kind of things that they like to read, almost trying to be ahead of the game, isn't it? Sort of what kind of things might they ask for? Yeah. Um, before they even realise they want it, it is, is quite a quite a unique skill that I think school librarians have. Um, but you also touched on the fact that um, you know we're thinking about our collection developments as far as the curriculum is concerned, and I think that, that you know that is something that we maybe touch on a little bit later on. I have just noticed that Deborah Perrin has managed to arrive on online. Uh, Deborah, you just need to click to say um, to make you a speaker. And then I can invite you in to speak. So I'll watch out for that. Um, oh, she has done. Fantastic. I'm just going to get Deborah in. Hopefully, hopefully she can now speak. Hi, Deborah. Thank yeah. you for joining us. Hello. Thank you. And thanks for your patience, Elizabeth. Um, sorry to be late joining. I, my iPhone software has updated recently and um, it just wasn't seemed, everything just seemed a little bit different and awkward, but uh, I got there in the end. Um, Ruth, I'm so sorry I missed what you said. And so forgive me if I'm going to repeat what you've already said. Um, but uh, I, I caught the tail end of, I think you said you don't have a collection development policy. Um, well, we do. So hopefully I will be sharing something that's slightly different. Um, but apologies if you if you have said this already. Um, so um, I, I think the first when Elizabeth asked me to to say something here, I think the first thing I, I wanted to do was just talk, take a step back and say, why do we have a collection development policy? Um, and I think mine has been um, a mixture of two things. Firstly, because I, I know it's kind of one of those bits of paperwork that lots of librarians in, in um, all library um, uh, uh, types of libraries have uh, to an extent um, but but also um, when I started this job 
Um, I inherited it from um, lots of really, really good, uh, well-meaning people. And I really genuinely don't mean that patronisingly. Um, but what I, what I inherited was a collection that really had been formed um, by student choice. And I can understand that. Um, you know, if you've not got a library background, but um, uh, a couple of people who were just so passionate to try and keep the library open, which I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, but literally, they, they kind of just bought... Um, what was really popular and so um, when I started one of when I was taught uh, on my library course that I, I, I did was one of the first things you should do when you start in a new uh, library is have a look at the collection and see what you think is the strengths and the weaknesses and what are the gaps um, and I did that and I think I realized that we got a very very heavy fantasy based collection that was very very old uh, and then loads of copies of Williams and Kinney. So um, I, I think for me, I then wanted to write a collection development policy to um, not just justify because I was um, feeling uh, that I had to justify it, but justify it in terms of professionalism as to what um, a, a, a either a qualified or a very experienced library member of staff can, can bring and make a difference. Um, and I think it's that children, uh, and I'm sure whether you have a collection policy or not, this will apply to everybody tonight, but uh, children deserve to find a book that they can connect to. Um, and, you know, children are representatives of every tiny aspect of our society. So diversity um, is, is obviously huge and, and we can discuss at another time at what all that means. But that, that was that's always my bottom line is you've got to have a, a balanced collection um, looking at everything that that means. So reading abilities, reading interests um, and, uh, and reading um, uh, choices in terms of long, short um, and all that that uh, that side of uh, reading skill side means. Um, and I also think that you ne they need to have um, good representation and, and presentation uh, and quality and value for money. And, and by that, I mean, um, much as I, I mean, I, I went two days ago and did some charity shop shopping, but at the same time, they, they don't need old books. I think children, whatever your budget is, I'd rather have a small selection of good quality books. And by that, I do mean, you know, new books. I remember a librarian telling me years ago, she said, you know, if you're already living in a highly uh, deprived area with, with, with children who hardly ever see anything new, they'd be better to have one or two really nice new books that they can actually feel that they deserve that. They deserve something new. Um, and I, I'm also aware that um, non-fiction, um, I wanted to be able to say that we should be representing different viewpoints, particularly on controversial books, so that libraries are places of information, particularly in non-fiction November. Um, and I think it's important that, um, that we reflect different points of view. Uh, and so, yeah, I could talk a lot more, but those are sort of my, my highlighted points as to why I actually sat down and wrote a, a policy um, so that uh, I've got something to hand on to the person who comes after me. I think that's fantastic actually um, uh, Deborah I think I think a collection development policy has has many places many reasons to be to be writing one. I've noticed that Sarah Pavey is online and I have a feeling that she might be doing something uh, currently um, on collection development um, so if she wants to join in and, and, and join in the conversation please Sarah 
request to speak because we'd love to hear what you have to say. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to say at, at this point was was that getting our teachers involved in um, our collection developments are really, really important. And I'm really sad that, that Andrew can't join us this evening. But when I was talking to him earlier this week, trying to persuade him that he should talk to you all, um, he was I was asking him to explain to me what he had currently done. So he's head of uh, Christian theology at Ampleforth, and he has started working with his year 12s and year 13s. And I was saying to him, <laughs> as a good librarian mother that I, that I am, what is what has the school library got for you? So he went and uh, spoke to the school librarian, did a little bit of recce about it, um, saw that there was some good content, but there was also some old and poor stuff. So together, the librarian and, and uh, my son cleared out what was not relevant. He then created a list of uh, books that he would recommend and has given it to the school librarian who is choosing what to spend her budget on. Obviously, um, you know, a budget has to go across the whole school. So just because he gives a list of, of 10 books doesn't mean to say that he's going to get them all. But what it has enabled him to do is to have a collection um, near his classroom, uh, a classroom library effectively, but just for the topics that he's currently looking at with a link to um, all of the other resources that he knows are in the school library. So there's a real connection between what he is doing in the classroom and the school library. And he is he's a funnel um, to push them down towards the library to help them engage. And I think that's a really important discussion point for us this evening is the fact that we need our teachers to be aware of what resources are in the library. Because when we get a child into the library, maybe looking for something that the teachers told them to come and look for, we are helping them to see other things. If we can imagine that our school libraries are like a supermarket where they have to walk past the, the humorous books or the books about, um, uh, I don't know, space, and it catches their attention. It's, it's our, it's our um, chocolate shop box that we can actually help to engage students in the wider collection, even if they've come in for something specific. Um, and I just wondered what you thought about that. It, you know, is anybody out there actually working currently with a teacher um, to help them develop their collection? Or is it something that we still feel that we are doing on our own, I wonder? It's an interesting... Sorry, I'll just speak while nobody else is, but do feel Absolutely. free to join us if you want to. It's an interesting um, question which way that conversation goes. When I first joined the school, um, the library hadn't had a librarian for a long time and needed a lot of support. And I asked each of the departments what they wanted to buy. And now I, I, we, I still have that relationship and I still do have those discussions. Um, but also I sent an email out to a teacher today uh, to say, I've bought this book, the head of psychology, who's a new member of staff. I bought a book about bias. I think it might be of interest to you or your students. And he immediately wrote back and said, that's fantastic. That's the next topic that comes up with our year 12s. I'll come in and have a look. And I thought that's great because there's an opportunity then to say to him, okay, well, what else? Look and see what we've got. Tell me what we need. Um, so it's a bit of a, 
to and fro really whether I start those conversations or whether I can actually get to a point where the teachers come to me and say we're thinking about this what have you got or what can we get in uh, to to discuss it because not everybody has a helpful librarian parent to remind them <laughs> to go and speak to their <laughs> librarian <laughs> I know I must admit I was on a I was on a um, Saturday I was on Saturday Ed chat um, this week and one of the conversations that came up interestingly this was a group of teachers rather than a group of librarians um, was the fact that this teacher had a wonderful classroom collection for her subject um, it meant that in her words she knew what resources she had but she had also funded this all herself um, I find that incredibly sad that that teachers feel that they need to to or, or there's an expectation that in order to have the resources that they need that they need to fund it themselves so I have a real problem with self-funded books from teachers um, and and she she did tweet me and say that at one point um, you know she actually had to put, hold her hand up and say she didn't know what was in the library. So I'm really hoping that she will head down to, to her library sometime this week and find out if she can save herself some money. Um, because I think it's really important, you know. Um, teachers love reading. Teachers are really keen on pushing um, books that they think are important into children's hands. It's how we find that connection between... Um, what they're teaching and the library and how we can pull that together. What do you think, Deborah? Um, well, I was going to say, I think it really does depend on, on your school. Um, I mean, certainly I'm, I'm actually changing considerably our non-fiction section because uh, like Ruth, I've, I've approached heads of departments and faculties and asked what they'd, what they'd like, come and see what, uh, what we've got in, in those sections, both fiction to support as well as non-fiction. Um, and I've actually been met with a bit of a, black, a, 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 a brick wall. And the, the response generally is, well, they do all their learning and research on um, on the internet and so actually um, as you know um, Elizabeth um, I'm, I've then so what instead of looking to support them through through books um, because we don't have an ebook collection at the moment um, I'm actually instead teaching them research skills um, that uh, that, uh, that will help that and so I've actually changed my um, non-fiction uh, or I'm gradually doing so budgets allowing to actually reflect um their leisure interests if you like or their social conscience uh passions um so I think that that's the way ours is going because I'd love it if the teachers would come to me and say yes can we have this book I mean we we only go up to 16 not 18 um but that simply just doesn't happen and I do have a staff book club um that's very informal um, but can I get anybody outside of the English faculty to join apart from, and I know she really isn't a meme, she's actually a real person, Karen from finance. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think it depends on your school. Um, I, yeah, I, I, uh, for me, um, developing the, the, the actual collection is, is much more geared around reading for pleasure, which I then surreptitiously talk to them about, well, it does actually aid your reading for learning without using those words so that uh, well, I don't jargon I over jargonize them um so sorry I don't mean to be a downer on that but it just no. doesn't work in our school no I agree. sorry yeah. I agree entirely that we will certainly um for the 
for years seven, eight, and nine, and, and GCSE, there is nothing. The, the library, from a uh, non-fiction point of view, doesn't serve GCSE um, because it's learn the textbook and regurgitate the textbook. So the question is, have you got the copy of Inspector Calls that I need for my English lesson because I've left mine at home? But yeah. for, the, for the lower years, for seven, eight, and nine, we've done exactly the same. I've removed all the books from the library that tell you about the Amazon or about you know, I mean, we had books about drug trafficking from the 1980s or taking drugs that looked like they'd been written by the writers of Grange Hill. All of those have gone because uh, if they want to know anything, they're going online. And I would agree with you. I would rather teach them to to do that properly um, than spend money and uh, trying to persuade them that it's worth going and looking in a book my difficulty with that is how you then prepare them to read books because they're non-fiction books because they're coming to me in year 12 and they don't understand how a non-fiction book works and you know that you don't need to read it from the start to the finish um but i'm doing exactly the same i'm my non-fiction is populated with uh, popular science socio popular sociology uh, popular psychology, the more approachable history books, so written by, you know, Dan Snow or Martin Sixsmith or those sorts of people. Um, because I agree, I just don't think there is the the need or the the expectation that those books about you know the Tudors or whatever will be there until, of course, a history teacher spends two year eight classes down one after the another for books about the Tudors and you say well we haven't got them because you told me you didn't ever use them yes and 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 I I think um for me I mean we're, we're I've done a big thing on non-fiction November this year um and so I'm trying with years seven eight and nine um to do exactly as you're saying Ruth and that's teach them how to read a non-fiction book and it's interesting because the year sevens immediately are relating that to what they did learn in primary school um so looking at contents pages and indexes um and and I'm just trying to um, all the time use that language so we're, we're doing we're focusing obviously this week particularly at the moment on anti-bullying so my display has got as I'm sure all of you do a mixture of fiction and non-fiction but it's the non-fiction that I'm choosing <clears throat> to highlight um, that then may be linked to a fiction because I know they'll borrow the fiction I think the other thing is of course um, if you ask teachers and if you ask um, members of staff what books you'd like them to buy, they assume that you're going to buy all of them. And of course, it's coming out of your own budget. So I think, you know, a collection development policy for me was important to say that the stock selection, the final decision is done by the librarian um, who is the library budget holder. And I wanted that in words um, so that uh, other people weren't spending the money. <clears throat> because I think there's no point a school investing in, as I say, either a qualified librarian or a very experienced library worker um, and then saying, but we're actually going to buy all the books or we're going to tell you what you have to buy and you just then rubber stamp it. So I think if you can justify why you're going to have um, the collection that you do have. Um, I mean, I, I did a stock take, my second stock take, because thank you, Sarah. Uh, Access it is absolutely stunningly amazing. So I've now done two stock takes. 
and it really means that I can actually um, I think I think collection is all about taking out what's what's unnecessary as well as about augmenting and adding in to to what is uh, what is needed um, so uh, so that's been really interesting but I just haven't told them how many books I've taken out <laughs> Yeah, we keep that one secret, don't we? We keep that one quiet. I've just um, invited or been asked by, I'm sorry, it just says Taylor on my screen. Um, would you like to join in the conversation, introduce yourself and yeah. let us know what you think? Hi, my name's Anna Leslie. I'm the librarian at Taylor High. And it's just interesting what you say because I don't really find, I find it quite, I would say over my 12 years as school librarian at my school, it, it took me years to build up my, like, it was taking me, I mean, I'm still not, like, sat, I mean, you're never satisfied with your collection as a librarian, I think. I mean, I don't think, I think that's the whole point. You're always trying to strive to, to make it improve it all the time. But for me, and I don't know if anybody here is from a Scottish school or not, um, but what I was going to say was... Um, I generally don't go to staff to ask because, see, I found very early on when I went to departments to ask about books, they would just get me to get, you know, like really expensive books that didn't really have any merit for the pupils. It maybe had merit for them personally, but it didn't have merit for the school. So what I do now, because I'm all about uh, dry getting the you know getting the library used so have these things called um reading to inspire inserts with s s1 and s2 i don't know what it is s1 is like is is a uh, 12 year olds and s2 is the year above so like 13 12 13 and where's first years is 11 to 12 um, and what I find is, is that that's how I built up my collection. I built my collection around these activities. So I do activities around books. And that's what I find. That's how my collection has developed. But it's very much, I do have a policy for, you know, supporting the emerging reader, um, the experienced reader and things like that. I, I mean, I really do. But I tend to just, I, I want, I want, I want kids to be inspired by literature, so that's how I would build. That's how I would build up my collection. But I appreciate that everybody's saying, "Oh, you know, a bit, you know, working with staff," and I really, and I do think that's really good. But it's just that's just not been that's just not been my experience, and I just found that, and I don't know if there's anybody else here that can um, that can maybe think oh yeah actually you know what I, I did something like that I mean I'm not sure but that that's what I do I tend to do it around I, I get different books and I do different activities around authors and it can be very much around reading for um information or it can be a uh, reading for pleasure it tends to be reading for pleasure um a lot of the activities um but yeah but i do do some uh, uh you know, like non-fiction stuff as well it's not just i think that one thing thank you so much for joining in i think it's really important that that we we share our voices about how you know how this is working for everybody um interesting that the conversation has gone down the lines of something that i was beginning to do myself when I was um, working for Schools Library Service was was making it, you know, if the children aren't coming in to look at the nonfiction, then you need to build up your fiction collections. Um, something that Deborah said, though, is that is that 
um, her links to the curriculum tend to be through the um, inquiry and research lessons. And I think maybe, you know, we're now heading along the lines of, you know, we are competing against Google and having a book on the shelves that even if it's, you know, five years old or 10 years old is, is too old. So we're sort of, you know, we don't want to be competing. We need to be up there with the latest. So, you know, if you have got a school that does have an online collection of any sort, um, to be working alongside teachers so that you can support that kind of research is a maybe a way of, of saving your budget so that you can focus it on something that, you know, how are you going to get those students in the door in the first place? It's it's that high interest and the the fiction collections, I suppose, is where is where we're heading, isn't it? Um, can I, unless anybody else who hasn't spoken wants to speak, may I add one more thing? Absolutely. Thank you. I, I think um, I think there is also. I, I mean, I, I I agree with um, was it Anne or Anna? I'm so sorry. Um, uh, I, I thought you spoke wonderfully, um, and and I also want to get people in the library reading. Um, but it's not a popularity contest, is it, with books? Because otherwise I'd have my whole shelves filled with literally just what people who come into a library and know what a book is uh, just only have their choices. I think we also, we need to meet that need. I mean, I, I, have, a, um, I have a suggestions box on my desk and with a, a pad and a pen right there. And I say to people, put, put that in, put it in there, suggest it. Doesn't mean you'll get it, but, you know, please suggest it. Um, but I, I think also we we can um, keep ourselves abreast uh, of all the new books that are coming out. Um, I mean, certainly the School Library Association do a lot of book lists and uh, so do Book Trust and et cetera, et cetera, we know. And I think sometimes we have to buy those books that um, we haven't necessarily had loads of calls for, but that we can see a value for. Because the more that we have a balanced collection that reflects what I talked about earlier, um, you draw in not just those people who are going to come in anyway, but those people who, when they have to come in, because maybe they've got a library lesson there, they then suddenly see something that that's the one book that may just uh, connect with them. And I think that's I think that's really important when we're looking at what's actually on our shelves. I would agree. You know, one of the questions was how do we balance fashion with long term value? And I think you're talking, if I'm right, about long term value. Um, I think. One of the things that I found was was that when I did the Carnegie Awards with um, some students, that you know we're making them read some high quality um, books that they probably wouldn't have touched, and even if they read one of them, um, then you know you're taking a step in the right direction, aren't you? You're opening their minds to to the fact that there is something else out there, um, and I think as school librarians we do. That is part of the job, isn't it? Is that is to engage with them. One of the uh, Carol Carol Press, I think they do um, a genre game. I think it's called. Correct me if I'm wrong. If anybody knows, um, but that in itself is a game that that introduces students to more and more um, genres that maybe they haven't looked at before. And having played that game a few times, um, literally very briefly on each table, there's a different genre and they have to find the best blurb, best cover and best front page. 
as a team and they have to run you know it, it gets quicker and quicker so they have to to make decisions very quickly and funnily enough you know books that have probably sat on the shelves for, for months are suddenly being asked you know they're asking them to take them out because i've got them into their hands because they've opened the front and read the first page because they've looked at the cover because they've looked at the blurb and 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 part of that is is all about sort of helping to share the excitement that you have for reading with them. And I think it's important. Annie, do you want to join back in? Yeah, is that okay? Sorry. Sorry. Um, It was just, I was going to say, yeah, because what I wanted to actually say was, sorry, my children are watching the telly, so there's a lot of background noise. I'm sorry. Um, It was just to say that I have this activity called Fabulous Fiction. And basically, I've I've been doing it for years, and it's basically, it used to be like speed dating with a table. So it was like fantasy was a table, historical fiction was a table, um, crime was a table uh, and they went and they went round the tables but I can't do that anymore for Covid and this year I did it I, I did I just I took the tro- I did it the old fashioned way I took the trolley to classes and then I gave them 10 books and they had to pick their the, the, the one they liked the best and their least favourite and then it just gets them holding the book and it gets them all it's just like a, a, a row of 10 books just a mixture um and they choose what they like and what they don't like and then we, and then we talk about it but what i was going to say was is that and i used to get them to write but see the other day i was running out of time there was a, there was something else um it was through pshe which is health and well-being i don't know what you guys have in england but it's kind of you know it's to look after their personal development but anyway i do a lot of things through pshe and what i was going to say is like i was really surprised the because i didn't have a lot of time i really just did i went i I avoided all the reviewing of the books and i just went straight to the end and i said right there's 10 books in your table tell me what book you like out of those 10 and then they all had to hold it up in the air and then they were like, and then I asked them why, and then they were, they were talking about it. But it was really quite interesting. And then I, I changed it and I said, right, what is the worst book in that pile? What is the worst book that you have looked at in that pile that you think, ugh, I would never read that? No way. Um, and, you know, that gets them, you know, it's, as soon as you start talking about what they don't like, you know, they're all like, oh, miss, this one's terrible. I mean, look at it. Look at the cover. It's terrible. So even if the, your collection isn't, what I'm trying to say, is, even if your collection isn't up to date, because school librarians, let's face it, we don't have big budgets. Um, and as I said, I'm happy with where my collection is, but it's taken a long time to get there. But what I'm saying is, is that even if you didn't have that, you just take you just take whatever books you have to the class and you just say, right, ask them, right, what's the worst book in that? What is the worst book in that uh, in that pile there? Because they, I, I, they, you know what kids are like? They have an opinion. If they don't like something, they will tell you. They will tell you they don't like it. So why do you not like it? No, I don't like the cover in that, or it looks boring, or um, what was we say? There was a wee boy that was talking about, um, he liked, I said it, it was about why he liked, there was a book that he liked, and it was about, it, do you know why? Because it had a dog on the front cover, and he says, well, I like, I like animals, so I think I'd probably quite like that. You know, so that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, it's just, it, it's not, 
it's not um, it's not very scientific but um or like a highbrow i suppose but it's like it, it's just a bit get it's just a bit inspired at the end of the day it's about inspiring kids so it, what i'm trying to say is it doesn't matter if you've got the best collection in the whole region or the worst collection in the whole region get them talking about it if it's the worst get them to talk about it absolutely i would i would so agree with you i think that's very clever uh, you know showing them um you know, maybe the the work, terrible books that are on your shelves is is could be quite inspiring as much as the the best ones. Deborah, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I just think Annie, that's fantastic, and I think you've really um, hit the nail on the head um, in terms of one of the things that uh, I think is is just absolutely so basic to the, what we do as librarians, and that's knowing your kids. Um, if you know what they like and you know what they're reading, and you can hear their opinions, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, it really does empower you when you're looking to buy books, whether it's in a charity shop or whether it's, you know, a, a fancy hardback somewhere. Um, and I think just, as you say, having those conversations with your students will enable your collection to grow. I mean, I, I'm in my fourth year now. So the students in year 10 were started with me at the same time. And when we went on to Accelerated Reader that year as well. Um, although only just for years seven and eight. And I remember thinking, well, if we're going to be teaching them uh, or making them read, which I hate doing, but that's another discussion. Um, I'm, if we're going to, if the idea of this is to build um, uh, people who are in good reading habits, when they come off Accelerated Reader, hopefully those habits won't stop. So I started um, buying um, fiction for older children, so years 10 and 11 based on what I was learning about them in year seven, thinking, well, you know, by the time they get to year 10 or 11, they might like this and they might like that. Um, and sometimes it's worked and sometimes it hasn't. But, you know, next year's year sevens might be reading what uh, what last those year sevens four years ago didn't. But you know what I mean? It's knowing your students, isn't it? Um, and then, as I said earlier, throwing some, some curveballs in there because we're also pretty good at sorting out books. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think I think what's what's coming across in this conversation is is definitely know your students, and and who knows your students best is is the school librarian. So because we can have conversations that that maybe teachers haven't got time to do. So you know, it's hugely hugely important. Um, I just want to say for anybody that's listening, if you want to speak, you need to be on a mobile phone, um, and you need to be using the Twitter app, as far as I understand it. Um, if you're not, if you're on your laptop, you cannot, you can't join in the conversation. So, so please, you know, grab your phone and and come and join in if you want to. So we've got another sort of twenty minutes before we close this conversation down this evening, and I want to take it on a slightly different journey. Um, I don't know whether you've been looking at what's been going on in America at the moment as far as diversity in the, in um, school library collections. Um, there's talk of burning books. There's talk of parents taking, um, you know, huge action against certain books in collections. Um, you know, luckily I don't. You know, it, it's not here. <laughs> um, occasionally, uh, when I was working within a school library, you know, books were challenged. Um, within my policy, I had um, a, a way of deciding whether actually the challenge was was upheld or not um but what do we think about that what do we think about you know if we as as school librarians have chosen to put a book in our um collection 
is it is it up to us to to you know can we take somebody else's point of view can we say that um there's there's uh, something that we should remove. Uh, I, um, do you know, I think that that's, you know, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> I think it's an interesting question, and I think it's one, well, it's certainly one I have been battling with recently. I mentioned uh, books about cancel culture. I was pulled up at an open evening by somebody who wanted to know why we didn't have a particular book which was questioning. Um, sort of woke opinions of the world. And I've had a long conversation with various members of staff who look after diversity and things in school about, you know, if we buy books that, which I think um, encourage our students to be open-minded and to think broadly about issues, is that going to create uh, a difficulty? and um, protest from our students. And I mean, my opinion is that that's a good thing, but I have in my in the past been told that books that I've bought are not suitable to go on the shelves, um, which is a, a, a conversation I have huge difficulty with because in my opinion is that books are about education and if you don't like the content of them and schools are about education, if you don't like the content of the book, that's fine, but it's there and then it's a point of discussion. It's not something that should be taken away ever. And I certainly, you know, I would, I would hold out firmly that it was my right to put a book on the shelf. And you can argue against it, but it'll stay there. I think it's an interesting one, though, Ruth, because, you know, we're dealing with, in secondary schools especially, we're dealing with seven year sevens who are 11 and 12. And we're also dealing with 16 to 18-year-olds. And the type of book and the content of, of books would be such a thing that you probably wouldn't want the year sevens to read something that the year twelves were going to. Um, is it a case of locking down our collections so that that they're there but they're not accessible to those students? Um, I don't. Sorry, can I jump in again? Is that okay? Yeah, I, see, yeah. I see Sarah wants to say something as well. Sarah, I've spoken quite a lot, so if you'd prefer to go. Does Sarah want to join in at this point? Yeah, I can if you like. Um, I, I was just going to say something more generally about um, collection development policies, really. Um, I don't know, does that sort of fit in now, do you think? Um, you can say, yeah, go on. Yeah. Take, take um, us back there. We can, always, we can always head back to diversity in collections a little bit later. Can okay, on. well, I think, I think it kind of covers diversity and things because um, I've, I've actually... Um, run several training courses on collection development for various people and I think one of the things and I know I bang on a lot about this but I do think it comes back down to the school's outlook and mission and also the curriculum that you follow within the school because it's got to reflect that as well as more general um sort of um, material that you might have in your library so I usually when I'm when I'm actually running the course we look at creating a mission statement initially so that means looking at the school what the school's trying to achieve what their objectives are and how they project themselves to the wider public through their mission statement and things like that so that the collection is allied to the outlook of the school whether you agree with it or whether you don't it's important because if you want money 
that's that's how it's going to and if you want recognition that's where it will come from and then it's a case of getting to know the users um, in the community and that that can be the wider school community and getting data about what they're hoping for what they want what they're likely to use if you have it in your in your library and really getting to know them and not just for the curriculum here but also outside and this is where your diversity and things can come into that collection finding out what it is they want but then I think the crucial thing is knowing and reflecting the curriculum and there is a huge issue um, as uh, several people have pointed out, but the fact that a lot of it when you get to 10 and 11 is about regurgitating what you have in your textbook. So, you know, things that help them to regurgitate what's in their textbook might be useful. And I don't think we need to restrict ourselves just to books. I think we can add in things to um, uh, your library management system, things like videos, things like PDFs, anything like that, or little animations, things that are going to help them in that. That's all part of the collection. And then it's actually getting out there and telling people, collaborating with them, getting people actually using it and showing how it can be used in context. And then is that wider share um, is spouting forth about what you've done to the people that count. And I think the final bit about collection policies is you know are you going to review it and who's going to review it with you and how often do you review it do you review it every term do you review it every year what what's the time period within it so so that's all i was going to say really can, can, can i just speak a few minutes sorry yeah um, it, was just, it was just to say though um see i work in a in a catholic school in scotland so um I have, uh, we've had a change of uh, leadership um, recently, so I think things will be changing. But I admire Ruth's, like, uh, like, Pat, like, you know, like what she's saying is so true. I just agree with it so much. But see, um, in my school, I had, I've got to be really, really careful um what what i what 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 i select but i do have um i had a job sharing partner um and she was older than me and she was far i was i was more uptight about things she was far more liberal uh, liberal than i ever was but what i would say is that you've got to suit the school that you're serving um, as well as much as I, I I really do believe in what Ruth's saying, you've also got to you've also got to be aware of this. You, you've got to be aware of um the school that you're serving. You've got to you you do have that you you know you do have to be you do have to kind of um you know you have to broach it sensitively. And what Absolutely. I would suggest if if um I mean because you know. I've got like a junior um, section which is for first and second year but I also have a teenage section but the problem is is that teenagers when you get to third and fourth year you've only got a smattering still coming um, yeah. so what I would say is is that what I tend to do is I have um, uh, and this was from another librarian um, she gave she, a, a letter for parents to sign yes they can read yes they can read senior books and yes they can read teenage books i just have a kind of you know oh, just as a 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 protect just as a, just as a uh, protection and if i felt that the book really warranted it i would i would get the pupil to get a, a letter from the parent and then and then i would happily issue it to them because then i know uh, that the parent's comfortable with 
absolutely. I think that's really important. Sorry, Ruth, did you want to jump back in? Yeah, no, I would entirely agree. And and I, you know, I'm when I say that if I've made a decision about a book, it'll go on the shelf, that sounds very, very militant. I am very conscious of the students we have in the school. And we have a similar system of, you know, books suitable for 14 and above, you know, and yes, the younger students are allowed to get parental permission to read those, but I don't uh, issue that lightly. I still caution them against it. But I'm also well aware that I'm not a gatekeeper of these books. If they don't read them with me, they can go and find that information elsewhere and they can go and find it in a less authoritative format somewhere else. So I, you know, as a as an adult, as a librarian, as a parent, I would always try and encourage the school to allow that material on the shelf. But I don't work in a in a church school of any kind. Um, but I, you know, I know that I'm marking dots uh, and marking books suitable for older students because of the cultural sensitivities that I suspect will um, be present for some of the readers you know books about um, girls from strict Muslim families doing something that doesn't conform I know that those are going to be more sensitive to some students than than others so the content might not be particularly exciting for most but I do take those sensitivities and I think you're right. Uh, I think they're very important to think about your school and your situation. Um, back in. Thank you. Yeah, um, just stepping back a little bit, um, uh, Sarah, I haven't done your curriculum development um, training, but interestingly, the first three points on my uh, policy that, that I put together is it should reflect the mission statement and values of the organisation. Um, the second one is they must be suitable for pupils' age ranges and sometimes have that age restriction as has just been discussed. And thirdly, enriches and supports the curriculum. I think it goes back to the initial reason, um, Elizabeth, that you chose this as a subject. And, and not, not being dogmatic and saying, oh, you must now go home and everybody who hasn't got a collection development policy write one. But I kind of think it does it does two things. It, it, it backs you up as a professional person because, you know, we don't go to any other. And I'm sure, um, you know, most parents don't go to uh, other faculties and go, you shouldn't be teaching them this, that and the other. Now, I know there are some exceptions of that. We've had a couple of that in our school. But they, but parents do seem to think they've got absolutely every right to tell their children what they should be reading. Um, and I have to say, I really struggle against it. Um, and certainly um, then send people to the public library because um, it's, uh, you know, I, I then think, well, what video games are you letting them see and what are they streaming online? Um, so I, I, I rather than I, I haven't gone down the, the line of parental letters. I know I know it's a contentious thing and it does depend on, on the makeup of your school. And I totally respect that. We're in a very liberal area, so I, I don't know the struggles that others have. Um, but I, I think one of the, the things that I do is when I do my monthly newsletter and I pick, say, for instance, you know, certainly when it was Black History Month, I explain why it is important that children have those those uh, books to choose from um, and I try and do it in a non-preachy way I really do um, but it just you know I, I'm trying to sort of convince people before we have the argument if that makes sense but I think it, it does just 
like like Elizabeth was saying, you know, this stuff that's coming out of America at the moment is very, very scary. We never thought we'd have Trump and then look where we are. Um, and we've just got to be one step ahead of the game. And I think if you can back yourself up, get your SLT or your line manager to look over your collection development policy, as Sarah said, review it regularly, you know, maybe on an annual basis um, or review it when you have a change of staff, whether that's a librarian staff or a, a line management staff, um, or even if you have a SLT staff change because the leadership and the direction of the school may change. But it just, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily value um, librarians professionally, even if you've got that degree. And this bit of paper that sat down and said, I think just gives us all a little bit of, well, do you know what? Look, we've thought about this. We've, we, um, we don't just buy books willy-nilly. There is a lot of thought and reasoning gone into it. And it just backs yourself up, if that makes sense. But, so can I ask you, Deborah, so oh. what made you write a development? Well, was there already a development policy in, in your school already or did you create it? And if you no, did, so if you did, did you share did you share it with somebody? Did you create it with somebody or did you write it yourself and then, so, and then share it? So I don't have a librarian degree. Um, I did my library training in Hong Kong. Um, I was um, pulled in to be a library assistant instead of a parent volunteer. Um, and decided I really loved this. Uh, long, long story. Um, I'd worked on and off in libraries before, but um, really wanted to get training. So I did a, um, I did a night school course for a whole year uh, that was um, run by the University of Hong Kong and taught by um, some amazing professors of librarianship. But it was all to do with um, schools and children's libraries. And, and you can imagine in Hong Kong and certainly China, the issues that we have around what you can and you can't borrow and what, what people can and can't talk about because of censorship. Um, and so it came out of that. That was part of our training. And it was also, you know, that um, don't tell the parents what the students are reading because parents won't talk about Tiananmen Square um, and yet your students want to read about it. So, um, so when I started here, uh, and I went to even look for a handover document that told me how to sign in the computer. And there was absolutely nothing. Um, so uh, so I started just putting things together and I, and I looked back over my training and, uh, and collection development policy was something that was really high. In fact, I think we answered an examination question on it as to why it would be a good idea to have one. So when I drew it up, I then shared it with the head of faculty, uh, the English faculty and also my line management manager and said, this is why I'm going to be making the changes that I am. I wasn't asking them and they were like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's fine. Thank you. Because I think, you know, the, the teachers have got so much on their plate with all the curriculum and development stuff, sorry, curriculum issues, the exam issues, and certainly with COVID and everything, throwing exams here, there and everywhere, that if somebody can take that burden off them, <laughs> they can know that they can rely on it. Even if it's like, oh, no, the librarian did that, but know that they're not throwing me under a bus. It's because they know I've actually got a good professional background for that. Does that answer all those questions, Elizabeth? It does. It's it's fascinating, isn't it, that actually um, on the course that you did, it was one thing that was really, really important. Um, and I think it's something that we sort of need to work our way towards. Sarah, do you want to join in again? Yeah, I, I was just going to say that I, I do think, you know, with collection development, I know teachers are very busy, but I think if you approach them in the right way, actually having it designed to a certain extent by committee 
is a good idea because you can actually pull in from how they're looking at spending their budgets in the departments as well. And then that can also be part of your collection development policy so that you don't have this duplication of effort and things like that going on. But you can just make sure, you know, define sort of who's going to get what and who's going to keep an eye on what. I think that's really important as well as the SLT. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think I think it's, you know, I think we're sort of... Um, have have rounded up the, the conversation this evening with the fact that you know um how we are talking about um our collections what are they for why where are they aiming at you know we need to get our students into libraries so therefore our collection needs to reflect that um i think the fact that we've managed to discuss collection pol development policies has been amazing because it wasn't on my list but that's amazing because you know it is something that is important. And as Sarah says, if we can get more than just ourselves writing it, it, it makes it, it gives it a higher profile, doesn't it? Um, it gives us, like, like Deborah said, it gives us the, the, um, the professional uh, reasoning about why we do and don't do things in our libraries. And I think that's essential. Um, and, and, you know, providing that, that collection that actually the whole school wants to use because it's based on their own um, ethos is is hugely important too. I've noticed that it's about four minutes to eight so I'm going to close this down this evening. I hope you found it really interesting. If you would like a copy of the recording um, you can join my membership um, on my website elizabethahutchinson.com um, if you want to join in next time, uh, we are meeting again on the 29th of November. Um, and we're actually, we're talking, we're, it's a bit linked to what we just to dis discussed this evening. It's about promoting and developing online collections. So if you've enjoyed this evening's chat, um, I hope that you will join us again next time. Thank you very much for Sarah, Deborah, and Annie for joining in the conversation. And thanks for Ruth for co-hosting with me. Um, I look forward to talking to you soon. Good night.